Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. This is your host, George Mooney's Gund. This ep- in this episode, I wanted to talk about some positive autistic traits that are rarely discussed out there. As a matter of fact, this is why we have so much negative stigma and stereotypes around autism is because of the medical community and the psychology community. Uh, not everyone, but uh, most of those in those fields do not talk enough about, if at all, about these positive autistic traits. And so that contributes to, as I said, the um, extremely uh, stigmatized negative um, view path around autism. So let's get into it. So some some positive autistic traits that you may have never heard of uh, or realized that they were autistic traits and a lot of these I actually have myself. Um, analytical mind, hyper focus, uh, that means we are you know, an analytical mind it just explains it itself. You know, I, I am, for instance, and many other autistics, uh, very analytical people, you know, like to, uh, very good at analyzing and breaking down, you know, certain things. Um, we're very good observers as well, like me particularly. I, I've noticed this, like, even though I struggle um, reading certain neurotypical communication cues or whatnot I I really I always know what's going on in a room I I can watch people talk like I might not know how to engage with them appropriately and what time and everything um all the time I might not sometimes I just might not engage if there's like a large group of people talking because I'll never know like when it's my turn and what to say and all that um but I'm observing them I'm I'm watching them talk. I'm watching what they're saying. I'm watching what they're talking about. I'm I am checking their expressions. It's just I'm not even trying to scan for this. I'm not even like, you know, you know, intentionally like uh, trying to watch them like a hawk. But I just have this very analytical mind, and I'm just processing like everything that's that they're doing and saying. I am taking in and, and I'm observing it. And then people will be so surprised later when, you know, I tell them about like this random time that they did or said something and and they don't realize like, but I remember that because it's an autistic trait of hyper-focus and analytical mind. Um, another thing uh, we have, and this is, you know, we can have what we call hyper empathy. And this is a, a big important one to highlight, as always, I'd, I'd say, because there is such this, um, there's such a damaging stereotype out there that autistic people don't have empathy. And what, what the truth is, is that we, we do struggle a lot with cognitive empathy, which is being able to tell if the other person is upset. But if we know that you're upset, if you tell us that you're upset and you tell us why, we do understand and we will empathize, empathize with you possibly sometimes more than neurotypicals. We feel that really strongly. We feel these emotions and 
um, you know, we apologize a lot, even though like more than we should, that's another trauma response that we have being misunderstood so many times and, you know, everything that comes with that. Um, and then we also have very intense empathy with certain, like we're so empathetic, and this is like such a bummer, like people don't realize, like we're so empathetic sometimes and with the hyper empathy that we will have empathy towards non-living objects like towels you know you'll be folding towels or you'll be folding shirts and you know you have like this stack of towels for instance and you have uh you have like all of a sudden like somehow more towels come in like you bring more towels into the pile and like the towels, so like I'm bringing towels, um, and I might not want to, so like there's a red towel coming on top of a blue towel, I might want to use the blue towel first because I'm thinking, oh no, that's not fair to the blue towel if I use the red towel now because the, the blue towel's been waiting. It's been waiting so patiently to be used and I'm just going to put in all, another towel over it. And then I realized, like, oh my goodness, here I am, you know, empathizing with towels. And they're not living, they're towels. And so, you know, that's where, that's where the crux of it is, you know, that's what hyper-empathy is. Like, you, you can have hyper-empathy with, like, with people and with not even non-living objects. Um, with pets, of course, you know, people, pets, and then, but even those things are not living. So, it, it, it's just a, um, really damaging and sad stereotype about the, you know, people thinking that we don't have empathy because a lot of times we have more empathy than, you know, most neurotypicals. Um, another huge trait, positive trait is honesty and loyalty. Uh, we're gonna say what, you know, what, what it is, and, you know, even if that's not the socially polite or socially appropriate way of saying things, a lot of people, a lot of neurotypicals specifically, they tend to sugarcoat things or, like, walk around, work around their wording when they're trying to criticize something or critique it, which is actually helpful criticism, um, and... Like, that drives me crazy because, like, I and, you know, a lot of autistic people like me are very literal thinkers and we think literally and we, we envision things as in our head. We're also visual thinkers. We, we envision them as we think and we, we rely a lot on direct communication. We need direct, we thrive on direct communication. We, if you don't, if you're not direct with, like, the more indirect with us you are, the, the more confused and misun we're going to be and we're going to misunderstand you most likely. Um, so, you know, obviously, and this is like a stereotype that gets misplayed, um, misrepresented in TV a lot because people seem to think, um, you know, with characters such as Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory and uh, 
Sean Murphy from The Good Doctor, um, people, they make it out, like, these care, and this, this is the, it's not to say that this doesn't happen with some actually autistic people, but it's not, like, at least in my experience, it's not, we don't usually say things outrightly, like, in an outrightly rude way, um, like, at least for me, like, we, it's not that we're, like, rude about, like, we try to not be, like, outwardly, like, um, outwardly rude or anything, but we may be perceived as rude, and see, some of these characters, they just say things that are outwardly, outwardly rude, and that's where I think the misrepresentation is, because I think what it usually is most of the time for us, at least for me, is we we're we're not like we're being direct but we're being very we're being you know cordial about it we're like we can criticize things like without um being really harsh but we'll still criticize it and the thing is that this will be these will be situations where a lot of neurotypicals will kind of like be too afraid to do that and a lot you know it's really important to offer construction constructive criticism even though even if it means you have to say something you know negative or whatnot about something because it's important you know how do you grow from if you don't have criticism if you're not being you know told where you can grow how do you know where you can grow and so it's just drives me crazy like you know, neurotypicals sometimes are so, you know, cautious or whatever, like, and I can tell this when I talk to them sometimes, like, they walk on eggshells about, like, on, like, what to say or when to say it or, like, you know, they don't want to, and it's just, like, how do you have any dialogue, any constructive dialogue like that? You know, you need to be able to say stuff for what it is sometimes. And, you know, this isn't true of all neurotypicals. Like, I do know neurotypicals that are more, like, direct and, you know, they will say what they think and they won't do much sugarcoating. This isn't exclusively a neurotypical, neurodistinct divide, but I have noticed that neurodistinct people are better at being direct in general than neurotypicals. Just, you know, as a general rule, from what I've observed out there. We also have very heightened senses, uh, and that can be a doozy. That that comes with S, the sensory processing disorder. That's a trait of that. And so, you know, there are a lot of things that aren't fun about sensory processing disorder, and that's why I consider it one of my disabilities, because, you know, um, being in sensory overload, which can trigger burnout and meltdowns and such, it's not fun. But we, a positive trait of uh, autism, which is associated with the SPD, um, is heightened senses. And, uh, you know, I, I believe visual thinking might actually be linked to that in a way as well. Um, how I can kind of picture things in my head, like as I'm thinking about uh, a situation or, or task or something. Um, but we also have really heightened senses. Like we, we can tell, we might be able to tell that, you know, there's, 
there's a weird noise, you know, coming coming from somewhere like, oh my god, like, could there be something that, you know, we need to watch out for? Is there, like, a car coming around the corner? Like, whatever it is, like, we might notice that before our neurotypical peers and we'll be able to alert them. And, um, you know, if it's a dangerous situation, then, uh, you know, a lot of times we we're the ones to kind of get everyone to to realize that and you know help help everyone move away from that situation um anyways this has been kind of a, a more rambly episode than i expected but you know it's just how it goes some, sometimes and you know i've always made the point of this podcast to be as natural and pure and authentic as possible and so i'm just gonna keep rolling um, the next thing I wanted to talk about are some of the common and lesser known autistic traits in addition to um, positive autistic traits as we were discussing. Um, so we are very good collectors like we have our special interests and like we'll collect things related to our special interests and um we have you know these really strong passions and in our special interests and so these are things that we will research like for hours and hours like more than our neurotypical peers ever would and and then we will share like through info dumping we share all sorts of um, information related to this, um, related to this interest of, of ours, and, um, you know, I find it really fascinating, like, to hear from other autistic people's, uh, special interests, and, of course, I always love sharing about my special interests, uh, aviation and weather, in, in my case, um, and we also have, uh, something that we do, um, it's called echolalia. Um, it's a form of stimming. It's it's actually also called by some. It's called vocal stimming. Uh, we like the way that certain words or phrases uh, sound in our mouth, and so we will like repeat a certain way word or phrase uh, for a while. And I I noticed. I remember noticing. Like I always used to. I used to always do this um, as a child. And I, I never really, even before I was diagnosed, and I never really realized what it was. And then after I was diagnosed, you know, no one told me either because there, like I said earlier, there's no, the medical and psychology community doesn't talk about like these more interesting or more positive traits. They only seem to focus on the negative. Um, you know, we're also really good pattern observers. Um, we can, you know, pick up in patterns and, you know, that that can be a really helpful skill out there in certain fields as well. So it's important to highlight all of this. Um, you know, it's important to discuss this because it, it, this part of autism clearly doesn't get discussed enough. And, you know, obviously we need to honor the struggles as well and always seek... Um, 
affirming ways, neurodiversity affirming ways of supporting those struggles rather than, you know, trying to mold people in the neurotypicals because, you know, we're not neurotypicals, we're autistic, we're neurodistinct, we, our brain doesn't function in the way that neurotypical brains do, so neurotypical strategies won't work for us, and that's just a fact. Um, and that's okay, and that should be okay, and that should be accepted, you know, for what it is. So, I want to talk a little bit about the neurodistinct working style as well, and, and you know, this is an example of how neurodistinct brains uh, and the way they work differ from neurotypical brains. And so for neurotypicals and, you know, the way that the neurotypical uh, work schedule, or at least for most companies, uh, the work scheduling situation is, is that you're expected to go in five days a week, uh, eight hours a day, you know, and, and bring, you know, somehow you're, you're expected to bring the, the same amount of energy every day and complete the same amount of work every day. And, you know, for a lot of people, particularly neurotypicals, and this is not, not limited to just neurotypicals, but I've noticed that, you know, neurotypicals tend to have um, a much easier time with, like, and, you know, or they just get into this rhythm and, and they're just, like, being at consistent levels of energy, it seems, or producing consistent levels of, of work, like, on, on a daily basis, or at least that's what neurotypical society keeps expecting everyone to do. And for neurodistinct people, that doesn't work, because it's like, we, we can produce the same amount of work as a neurotypical in a week, but we do it in spurts. At least for me, I've noticed that. I, I'll go through spurts, and this is due to hyperfocus. This is where hyperfocus is really helpful. Um, but, you know, like our energy varies day to day. So there will be some days that I'll be in super hyperfocus mode, and I can get a bunch of things done uh, in one day. And I can get maybe you know, what a, a regular person would do in two or three days done in one day sometimes. But on the flip side, the next day, the day following that, I might be really tired and I might not get much done at all. And this is the case for a lot of neurodistinct individuals. And, you know, like, that's okay. If you, if you're still able to get what you need to get done or the amount of work that you need to get done by the deadline or whatever, like by the end of the week, like you're setting, you know, whatever the case is, then, then that should be okay. Like, why do you need to like do it all at an even pace? Like, what if it works for you that you, you work in spurts, you, you, you get a bunch of stuff done one day and not much the next day. And, you know, because that's how a lot of our brains work the best, you know, that's the best way to, to get the most out of our brains. And it's just such a shame that society doesn't accept that. And they expect you to like function at the same level e evenly for like, for many days in a row. And I know that this isn't even something that a lot of neurotypicals can even keep up with. So 
And so especially neurodistinct people, you just multiply that by like five or whatever, I don't know. Um, but you see, that's the, the one of the core issues that the neurodistinct community has been advocating for as well is, you know, changing um, these expectations, you know, like, yes, like you can still have a certain amount of workload, you could still have a due date. Uh, but just, you know, and, and this is already the case in a lot of companies, um, and they just, a lot of places do work like this anyways, but not enough. I know that they're not enough, and I know that there are a lot of neurodistinct people out there that struggle tremendously with their jobs, and they struggle to keep a job because the way their job expectation, the way, it's not even about, like, the workload it's about how they're expected to do it and if they don't do it in typical nor neuronormative appropriate neurotypical ways even if they do a really good job when they do it it they you know they're you know not that's not okay to their employers and they get fired and you know this is the one of the many problems we have with the our system and our society nowadays anyways um that's what I wanted to cover in this episode. Uh, it was a little bit of a wild one, but I hope you enjoyed it nonetheless, and I'll see you for the next one.